Section 2. The Real Reason That You're Stressed Why does stress happen in the first place? It may seem like this stuff is just information, but sometimes just understanding why something happens can create a positive change. Recently, I was teaching a group of university bookstore directors from the Mountain West in Park City, Utah. After the morning class, I was visiting with several of the participants. One woman, in particular, stopped to tell me that in over 50 years she had never learned about stress and how and why it happens in such a simple and concise way. She mentioned that after listening for the little bit of time that we were together, she was confident she knew what she needed to do to stay motivated to remove all the possible stress from her life, and she felt totally empowered to be able to do just that. The things that I taught that class on that quiet July morning in the mountains of Utah are exactly what I'm going to share with you right now. Consider this. Think about the symptoms of stress on the stress self-assessment you did earlier. For most people, these maladies are a result of out-of-control stress levels. Headaches, irritability, difficulty concentrating, losing your memory, muscle pain, ulcers, various skin conditions, getting sick more frequently, and many other problems. But why would this be the case? Why, when we are stressed, would the body generate sore muscles, headaches, fatigue, irritability, and a host of other unpleasant things? If it is so detrimental to our well-being, why do we have this experience of stress in the first place? To understand this, it is very important that we learn the real, and only, reason why stress happens. Pay close attention. The title of this section is, Our Ancestors Did It To Us. Let's transport ourselves back in time many, many generations ago and observe what life was like for our ancestors. We want to look specifically at how our ancient relatives dealt with dangerous conditions and life-threatening situations. Imagine that we are living many centuries ago in a place where we find no trace of modern conveniences. We have no nice homes, no cell phones or television, no indoor plumbing, no electricity, no food in the cupboards, no cars, nothing to keep us in relative comfort. It's nothing like the environmental conditions in which we find ourselves now. For the sake of this illustration, let's say that we all live in caves or in huts out in the wilds of some undeveloped area of the world. Let's imagine that I happen to live in a cave. I have invited you and many of our neighbors over to my place because I have just killed a very big animal and I'm cooking it in my prehistoric barbecue. Many of our friends are at my cave hanging out, feeling calm and peaceful, and having a fun time. We're having a nice and relaxing time together. As you picture this scene, you'll notice that the place where I live happens to border a forest thick with trees, bushes, and shrubbery. It's a very beautiful and natural setting. While we're hanging out together, we notice some ruffling of the bushes of the nearby forest. Suddenly, charging mightily toward us, is a huge hungry bear. This enormous creature has smelled our delicious picnic and wants some of it for himself. This large, menacing creature could easily put us out of commission with a single swipe of his powerful paw. 
Can you picture this scenario? Here comes this bear charging at us. He's hungry and wants our food. Now I'd like you to think carefully for a moment. What is the very first thought that races into your mind when you see this big bear? You might think your first thought would be, Run! Get the heck out of here! That's almost right, but there's actually another thought that precedes it. Run is your second thought. Your first thought would be some variation of these words. Uh-oh, I am in trouble here. I am in serious danger, and if I don't do something quickly, I'm likely to die or experience serious physical pain. This is really bad. Thoughts like these happen very quickly in a fraction of a second. Next comes the stress response. Almost as quickly, this initial thought is followed by the next thought. Run. I need to get away because if I don't, I'm dead. I don't want to die. You might also have another thought that follows the initial uh-oh thought. It sounds something like, Fight! I need to kill this creature to protect my family, my friends, and myself. The immediate result of either of these thoughts is a physiological response that gears up your body to either run with incredible speed and or fight with incredible strength. This immediate physiological response is commonly known as the fight-or-flight response. We'll also call it the stress response. Let's explore what happens when the body turns on the stress response. So what happens next? A flood of physiological activity in the body automatically and precisely launches any time we have the original thought of, uh-oh, I'm in danger, this is bad. We call this our threat thought. This automatic response works on its own to generate great speed and power so that you become more able to run from or fight the big bear. Some of these immediate physiological changes include increased heart rate, increased breathing rate, increased metabolism, increased oxygen consumption, increased oxygen to the brain, increased blood pressure, Increased blood sugar, increased secretion of the hormones adrenaline and cortisol into the bloodstream and to every cell in the body, increased muscle contraction, especially the running and fighting muscles, increased blood clotting ability, blood thins, pupils dilate, body hair stands on end, increased beta brainwave activity, heightened sensory awareness. What is the single purpose of all these immediate physiological reactions? The sole reason for these reactions and many more to the uh-oh thought is so we become very fast and very powerful so we can avoid being eaten by the big bear. Interestingly, quite a few processes in the body stop working normally when the fight-or-flight response is activated. Here are a few notable ones. Immune system slows down. Reproductive system stops working normally. Some blood vessels constrict, partially obstructing normal blood flow to certain areas of the body, such as the extremities and some organs. Digestive system stops processing food in its normal way. Decreased perception of physical pain. 
Higher order thinking turns off. Excretory system turns off. Endocrine system modifies its normal functioning. The body knows where the most energy is needed to achieve maximum power and speed, and it does what is necessary to recruit what is needed from various body systems to achieve this. Reflective Questions Have you ever stopped to think about all the changes that immediately occur whenever you think thoughts of danger or emergency? How often do you find yourself feeling these immediate sensations? The fight-or-flight response saved my life. Once, when I was about 14 years old, I was camping with some Boy Scouts at a place in central Utah called Topaz Mountain. On one of the days, we were rolling boulders down a long and steep cliff. We loved pushing the boulders, watching them gather speed and momentum, bust and smash as they rolled down the mountainside and finally explode like giant fireworks at the bottom of the cliff. At one point, I jumped on a rock that was about double my size and enormously heavy. It was perched precariously on the edge of the cliff wall, but it seemed secure and a safe place to stand. Suddenly I noticed this massive rock loosening from the ground it sat on. The bottom of the cliff was 100 feet down and this rock was suddenly headed in that direction. I knew I would be dead if I went down with the boulder. Something inside of me screamed, jump! In an instant I leaped higher than I ever had as the boulder freed itself and began rolling below me. Off it tumbled over the cliffs. As I came down on the piece of ground where the boulder was just a fraction of a second before, I watched it bust and smash on the way to its explosive end. Had I not jumped as high as I did off that rock in that split second, I wouldn't be here today. The power and speed of my fight-or-flight response saved my life that day. Reflective Questions Think back to a time in your life when you were in a real danger, a time when you or someone you know had to react quickly to stay alive by running from or fighting something that was legitimately dangerous. Take a few moments to consider how you felt as this was happening. What emotions did you notice yourself having? If you did need to run or use more power to deal with the situation, did you find yourself speedier or more powerful? In what way? How did you feel after this situation ended? The stress response is not designed to work for very long. The stress response or fight-or-flight response helps us either fight the bear or escape from it. It creates maximum power or speed, but for a very short time. Probably little more than 30 to 90 seconds is all. Our bodies simply don't have the energy reserves to support highest energy output for much longer than that. So think about this. How long would you be able to keep going if you were running the 100-yard dash at top speed? No one can sustain that high speed for very long. After a very short while, you would become very tired. Such is the case when we run from the bear. The important thing to understand about the stress response. Fight or flight reaction or the stress response really has only one purpose. It functions to help us do one thing and only one thing very well. It helps us survive. 
this enormously imbalanced physiology works to keep us alive or avoid physical pain. That's it. There's no other reason for us to have the stress response than this. So consider this. Anytime you have an, I'm in danger, this is bad thought, this flood of physiological activity happens automatically without your conscious direction. It turns on all of those systems in the body that will help you be able to run a lot faster and be a lot stronger. It also turns off or down all of those systems that your body doesn't immediately need to help you run from or fight the big bear. In the short run, this response is a powerful and useful process. We're very glad we have it for those legitimately dangerous but very rare occasions when we need that extra burst of speed or strength. In the long run, however, if it is kept on or activated for much longer than the short burst needed to save you from the bear, this physiological imbalance can produce serious health problems. So let's take a moment to review. When you're in homeostasis, like when you're having fun and enjoying things, nothing is threatening to you and you feel good. When something happens in your environment that you perceive as a threat, like the big bear that emerges from the forest, you immediately have the uh-oh, the threat thought. This thought automatically initiates the fight-or-flight response. Essentially, every system, every organ, every cell of your body turns to a state of enormous imbalance in order to create immediate high energy for that short amount of time it takes to escape the big bear. Once you sense no more danger, the fight-or-flight response turns off and you experience exhaustion and fatigue because you've expended a tremendous amount of energy running or fighting. You may be worn out even though the stress response is no longer on. When you feel safe again, all the functions in your body that were activated by the stress response gradually return to normal. Soon, you return to homeostasis and you are ready to enjoy things once again. With this understanding of the stress response in mind, I'd like to ask you an important question. If the fight-or-flight response has the single purpose of keeping you alive when you are in actual physical danger, how often are you really in danger? I'd like you to think back to the last month of your life. And if that's too much history to try to remember, then just think about the last week of your life. Consider all of your waking moments. Now take a little inventory and calculate approximately how much of your previous month did you spend in situations where your life was honestly in danger? How much of the month or week were you in real physical danger? How much of your time did you experience situations where you could have died or suffered real physical pain? Try to determine exactly how many minutes or seconds you found yourself in these situations. Now let's do some math. Take the number of minutes you were in real physical danger and divide that by 43,200, which is the total number of minutes in a month. Or take the number of minutes you were in real physical danger and divide that by 10,080, which is the total number of minutes in a week. What did you get? If you are like most people I've ever worked with, 
The answer to this question is always less than 1% of the time. Most of us live in environments that are so nicely set up that you and I are in comfortable or at least generally safe conditions for virtually everything we do. If you analyze your situation accurately, you'll recognize that you do not live or spend the majority of your time in dangerous places. Why does the stress response turn on if we are not in danger? If we are always safe, why does the stress response turn on in the first place? Why are so many people running around in fight-or-flight mode? Why are people suffering the symptoms of an imbalanced system due to the stress response? As you ponder these questions, keep in mind, absolutely don't forget, the only reason for activation of the stress response is to help you escape from or fight a physically dangerous situation. The stress response has no other purpose for being a part of our physiology. None. Reflective question. Think about those questions for a few moments. Why are so many people stressed if there isn't any danger? Why do so many people struggle with so many stress-related health problems if they never need the stress response to help them stay safe? What answers come to mind? Think back to the self-assessment you took earlier. Specifically consider the stressometer. Did you give yourself a number any higher than a 2 or a 3? If so, you're probably activating the stress response far too much for your current survival needs. You're probably thinking, well, I must be different than everyone else because I really do feel stress. My stress is very real. Your stress is definitely real. It just didn't happen for the same reason it did for your ancestors, that is, due to a real threat to their physical well-being. Reflective question. If you are never really in danger, as the math above indicated, does this insight help you to rethink how much stress you need to feel for most of the events of your life? Consider this situation that would be stressful for most people. Imagine that you have been asked to sing the national anthem at the beginning of the next Super Bowl without any musical accompaniment. You'll be singing at the top of your lungs in front of 85,000 enthusiastic fans along with millions of other viewers around the world. Would you feel comfortable doing this, or would you probably find yourself getting a little bit stressed out at the thought of singing in front of all these people? If you're like most folks, singing in front of any group of people doesn't sound very fun. In fact, it's probably going to be very traumatic for you. However, if you're at your home by yourself, washing dishes or vacuuming, would you have any problem singing the same song? even at the top of your lungs? You probably wouldn't think twice about it, as long as nobody else was around to hear you. Now here's what's interesting. In both places, at your home or in front of 85,000 excited football fans, you are doing exactly the same thing. You are singing a song. That's it. But in one place you feel stress the other no stress. What's the difference? If you don't get anything else 
understand this. I'm going to give you a definition. It's the only definition that you need to remember. It's the definition of stress. There are many decent definitions of stress, but this one is the best. Stress is the physiological survival response of the body to a perceived threat. The most important word in that definition is perceived. Let me explain. How our perceptions activate the stress response, or fight-or-flight response. Your hypothalamus and your nervous system are always listening to your thoughts. They always follow through on directions you give them based on what you are thinking. When the brain sends the message to the hypothalamus and nervous system that danger is present, it always sets in motion electrical and chemical activity that creates the fight-or-flight response. Your hypothalamus and nervous system, however, aren't watching your exterior environment. They are only listening to your thoughts. If you have a thought that sounds like, this is bad, I'm in danger, they immediately go to work. They have no idea if the danger is real or not. They just follow directions. And the only way they know how to handle any kind of a threat, perceived or real, is by activating the fight-or-flight response. So all you have to think is, uh-oh, this is bad, for any reason at all, and you immediately activate the stress response. Over 99% of the time, the uh-ohs that we think have nothing to do with real danger. We make them up. Sure, they might be important and sometimes even urgent, but very rarely are they life-threatening. It is your perception of a threat that sets it off every time. We call this your threat thought. Try this. Is the threat real or imagined? Consider the following situations that people commonly perceive to be stressful. Ask yourself whether the event is one that warrants activation of the stress response in order to escape and stay alive. Taking a test for your job or at school. Having an argument. Escaping from a house fire. Arriving late for work. Being chased by a mugger. Giving a prepared speech to a crowd of people. Sliding down a steep mountainside while hiking. Being rejected when asking someone for a date. Getting a bad score on a test. Getting ready for a very important ball game. When you look at these examples, you begin to realize the clear distinction between a threat that could possibly hurt you and the threat that you might make up about a situation. The first step in stress reduction. Our first job, if you want to dramatically reduce the stress that you feel, is to begin distinguishing between real, life-threatening situations which truly warrant the help of the stress response and all of the other situations where you aren't in any kind of immediate danger. The best way to do this is ask yourself questions related to how you think about things. Let's explore together what I mean by this. Consider a few situations that are commonly perceived to be stressful. 
Perhaps it is one's personal finances, or not having enough time to do everything, too much on your plate. Maybe you experience a lot of stress because of your kids or your neighbor's kids. It doesn't really matter what we name as our stressors, it's still going to be the same discussion. So let me ask you this question. Is it possible to have your current financial situation or your many things to do and not feel any stress? It may not seem likely, but it is possible. Next question. Are there people in the world, even in your community, who have similar financial situations or a similar amount of things on their plate who do not feel stressed about them? You might think that those people are abnormal, but they aren't. They just look at things differently. They interpret things in a different way. Let me give you some more examples to help clarify this. Rush hour traffic can be very stressful. It can be especially so if you're late for something important. But is it possible to be in your car on the freeway going five miles per hour and even be late for something important, and not feel anxious about it? The answer is yes, it is possible. It always depends upon how you think about it. What about road rage? Is it possible to not get angry at all the crazy drivers on the highway? It must be because there are plenty of people who don't get upset at the crazy drivers. You may be one of them. What about tests? Consider the student who is taking a really important test. This is a very stressful situation, right? No, it's wrong. The reality of an exam is that it has no power of itself to turn on the fight-or-flight response. It is merely a piece of paper with words printed on it. There is nothing dangerous about it. The stressfulness of the test comes from how we interpret it and what the test means to us. Different perceptions mean different stress levels. If I were to consider the test as a university professor, I would interpret it as questions to help determine what students were learning. My son in early elementary school would interpret it as a nifty piece of paper that he could easily transform into a paper airplane. The student who stresses about the test is the one who interprets it as being critical to his future. He believes that a low score may pose a threat to his well-being. In other words, blowing it might be painful. But there are other students who are taking the very same test who don't stress about it at all. Here's another example. A basketball player is at the foul line shooting foul shots. He steps up to the foul line, puts the ball in his shooting hand, lofts the ball into the air, and it sails through the rim. He scores. When would this situation be stressful? When he is shooting to win the game. If he misses, his team loses. The stress response is activated when he anticipates feeling pain if he misses. We have decided in our culture that losing is painful. When will this same activity not be stressful? He will feel no stress when he is in his backyard casually shooting foul shots with his friends. What's the difference? He is doing the same thing in both circumstances, at the end of the important game or in his backyard. 
The only reason one situation is more stressful than the other is because he has interpreted the meaning of one differently than he has the other. During the important game, he is thinking of all the negative consequences that might occur if he misses. Each of these negative consequences equals pain. Because he is thinking of a future pain, his body automatically turns on the stress response. Remember, his hypothalamus and his nervous system don't know where he is. They only follow through on the directions of his thinking, of his interpretations. While shooting in his backyard, he doesn't anticipate any negative consequences for missing the shot. Again, if there is no perception of potentially negative, painful consequences, there is no stress response. Remember, no threat thought, no stress. The way he has interpreted the event determines whether or not it is stressful to him. Imagine another scenario. I am driving in my car and you are following me in your car. We are driving on a one-lane road that is very narrow and winding where it would be impossible for you to pass me. Imagine that you are late for a very important work meeting and you may lose your job if you are late. You are in a definite rush. I, on the other hand, am on a leisurely drive in my convertible with my wife and kids. We are in no rush. We are simply out for a fun drive. Now imagine that a very large car pulls out in front of me and behind the wheel is an elderly man. He is in less of a hurry than I am, and by the looks of things, he probably hasn't been in a hurry for years. I slow down so I don't run into him, and you must also do the same. As I look in my rearview mirror, I notice that you are clearly upset. I see you screaming, waving your fists, and your face has turned bright red. If I were to ask you why you are so angry, you would tell me that this man's slow driving has made you feel extremely stressed out. The truth is, you are making yourself upset by the way you are interpreting the situation. How do I know this? I know this because I am on the same road, driving at the same speed, behind the same older gentleman, and I am not feeling upset or any stress. Why? because I have interpreted this situation differently. I see it as an opportunity to view more scenery during our beautiful drive. You interpret this man's slow driving as a major threat, because you might lose your job. That, for you, is potentially painful. Remember this. When you sense the possibility of pain, the stress response turns on automatically. You don't feel stress because of the situation. The meaning you give the situation is always what causes you to feel stress. Always. This is true even with the big bear. Imagine that you are camping in the woods. You see the big bear running toward you. Your immediate reaction would be to want to run with great speed or fight with great power because you view this bear as an immediate threat to your well-being. However, the bear itself does not set off the stress response. It is the belief that this bear is going to inflict some pain on you or kill you that causes you to feel stress. We know that the bear itself isn't stressing you out because we have all visited a zoo 
watched bears from a close distance away and not felt any need to run or fight. You're the same distance from the bear at the zoo as when you are camping. The difference is the bear at the zoo poses no threat to you due to the fence that prevents the bear from doing you any harm. At the zoo, you are certain that you aren't going to feel any pain, and as a result, the stress response doesn't turn on. I think understanding this is one of the grand keys to managing stress more effectively. No event in life is inherently stressful. There is no event in life that causes stress to everyone who experiences it. It might seem to be universally experienced as stressful, but it isn't. It always depends upon how you interpret the event, rather than the event itself that causes the activation of the fight-or-flight response. Every single event that you and I experience in life is stressful only because we have interpreted it to be that way. We have decided that some aspect of the situation will inflict on us some pain, which may be physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. Or we might see it as a threat to our sense of well-being and comfort. There are no exceptions. The world is simply not a stressful place. There are only stressful interpretations of the events in our days. Now, let me clarify one important point. That doesn't mean that things that you do are not important. They are. However, we don't need to view all situations with the accompanying threat of a potential pain, a false emergency, which activates the stress response. With this understanding, we recognize that we can do everything we normally do without the stress. How do we take the stress out of our thinking? This might be an easy concept to accept intellectually. It is quite another thing to make it a working principle in our lives. We aren't trained to look at things this way. Even the language we commonly use reflects our underlying belief that outside forces are causing our stress. From our very earliest days, we accept such common statements as these. This test is stressing me out. You make me mad. She bores me. He hurt my feelings. That kid is so irritating. Having the understanding that you are responsible for the stress that you experience is extremely important. It is important because whenever you feel stress, you can then remind yourself that you are interpreting the situation in a way that results in feeling stress. It is important because it is your own doing. This understanding also gives you complete power to undo it. When you notice that you are feeling stress, you can immediately take positive measures to do something about it. Suddenly, you are in control. Dr. Stephen Covey made an extremely important comment in relation to this idea. He said, If you think the problem is outside of you, that thought is the problem. Take a minute to let Dr. Covey's insight sink in. 
Let's work through an example together so you can get the feel of this. Let's discover what the real root of the pain or discomfort is in a stressful event or situation. Remember, almost every stress that you feel involves the thought of pain that you must either prepare for, that is, fight, or try to avoid, that is, flight, even if it is one that has already happened. So think of a situation or event that you find very stressful, one that you have personally experienced, or one that you think you might experience at some future point in time. When you have one in mind, think about each element of that event or situation from its beginning to its natural end. Assess where any real pain happens at any point during the situation. Do not include psychological or emotional pain that you make up about it. Focus only on any real physical pain that happened to you or is currently happening. If you're thinking of a future event, follow it through to the imagined point where you feel there might be pain. For example, if you don't meet a deadline for an important project at work, what real pain have you imagined might happen? Follow this through to its logical end in your mind. So let's work through this. What is the situation? What real pain has occurred, is occurring, or might occur? What steps will lead to the final real pain that you're trying to avoid? For example, if you don't complete the project, this may lead to getting reprimanded by your boss, which may lead to getting fired, which may lead to, well, whatever you make up. Assess the likelihood that the final real pain that you imagined will really happen. For example, if the real pain of turning in a project later than its due date is losing your job, assess the true likelihood of that happening. Once you analyze the situation, you may realize that there is no need to activate the stress response because there is no physical threat. Yes, it might be an uncomfortable situation, but not physically dangerous. You realize you are safe rather than threatened by some future pain that may or may not occur. Yes, you still need to deal with the consequences of the late project. However, now you can do it without turning on the stress response. You can do it without the stress.